recording from Boulder, Colorado on December 21st, 2016. It's Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. It's a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt discuss pop culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. I'm your host, Ray Augustinelli, and I'm here with our two esteemed guests, Dr. Zen, my brother, Paul Augustinelli. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Are we esteemed or steamed? Well, that's for you to say and for the rest of us to find out. Hopefully it's the former. (laughs) The greatest of all sinners is Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon. Hello, Jeff. Ray Augustinelli, um, you act as ringmaster to this circus. I try my best. We're so grateful for your efforts, right, Paul? Mm -hmm. We love you. We care for you so deeply. But we are here today. Um, You would think for a podcast, but there is an intervention that we'd like to do (laughs) today. Oh, my. And it's related to the lead-in music to our podcast. Why? Why isn't our intro music like super peaceful and trippy flute or recorder music or a Gregorian chant or something instead of that crazy maniacal banjo thing? (laughs) What, 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 what What deep, dark part of you are we exploring there, Ray? What is that all about? Well, I don't know what deep dark dark part of me that may be exploring. I do have a reason for why it is the way it is. Okay, do and, tell. And that's because I did do my best to try to honor the, 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 the dual sort of ideological themes of the podcast. So I tried to integrate some harp music and I tried to integrate uh, some Gregorian chant and I wanted to do justice to them equally. <laughs> sure. So I couldn't just pick one or the other. So I went for this kind of Moby Skrillex mashup sort of thing, sampling one into the wow. other, wow. an abject failure. It just did not work. Yeah. So I thought, what is the musical genre that is the sort of the third party that <laughs> represents total independence Dependence from both of those potential genres, and I came up with, you know, basically ban- <laughs> crazy ass banjo. So the most banjo. irrelevant exactly. musical score it, one. Exactly. Yeah. So um, good to know that it was also a failure, and I will endeavor oh, for our next podcast to maybe do something a little bit more um, interesting or less worthy of intervention. Just think about it. I will. Right, that's I will. all I'm talking about. So this week, I'm walking home from the Cheesecake Factory. Cold, bitter, but yet a lovely evening. Clear, and uh, I'm with my lovely bride, Tommy Lynn Whedon, and our old pastor, Troy Lewis from Steamboat, who's down visiting us. Shout out for Troy. Super cold. All oh, love him and that church, Steamboat Christian Center. Um, I'm giving money to some unwashed millennial and his dog on the 16th Street Mall, and Instead of uh, pulling out the $2 that I intended to give to him, and we'll ask you guys what you think about the measly two bucks, uh, but instead, as it's coming out of my hand, I see that it's a one and a tenner, 10 spot. Oh, 11 bucks. And so, the you know, uh, instead of the two crisp ones, one and a 10, can I ask for change? That's the question. <laughs> uh, Jesus likely wouldn't have had that kind of cash on him and certainly yeah. would have let the marijuana-soaked youth keep the change. What would Buddha do? And what do you think of what I did? Yeah, I don't think you asked for change. That just doesn't cut it. Um, In Buddhism, we have a tradition of begging and a tradition of giving. It's even got a word, a name called Takuhatsu. Um, So that kind of goes with the territory. I love the fact that, you know, it came out, you got the 10 and the 1. I think you kind of say that's the way the universe wanted it. And out of the generosity of your your heart, um, you just kind of go with that and let them go with it. I think that's a noble thing that you did. 
powerful generosity. I think the twofer is a perfectly reasonable amount to go with on a <laughs> dollars out of pocket. I think time was, you know, your loose change is what would have been totally appropriate right. and totally well appreciated. And the uh, the 11 spot, wow, seems like you might be making a big statement there. And uh, I don't know, I think maybe you got to look into the eyes of the guy and think uh, you already sort of showed your cards there thinking that he's probably just going to go buy some weed with it, right? So, well, he was jazzed. Yeah. I mean, he was really happy. Yeah. And, um, it kind of made me happy too, and, yeah. and you know what? I'm glad that there's an extra ten spot in there. As the greatest of all cheapskates, yeah. there's it's not often there's a ten in there. All right, well, and so if it gets to him, I felt good. Just the season, away. just the season. Did not ask for change. Did not ask for change. <laughs> hey, let's uh, move into our topics for the week. The first one being one that we've skirted in slightly different ways in previous podcasts. It's about machine learning, and actually, the New York Times had a cover story in their magazine this past week about the fact that Google is really banking the company on the importance of artificial intelligence across their suites of products and services. And I'm curious to hear what you guys are thinking now about machine learning. Uh, can machines really learn? What does, it, what does it even mean to say that a machine learns something? Dr. Zen? The really interesting neural network approach that Google's taken, which is revolutionized machine learning, which was talked about in this article, where instead of trying to code an instruction set or a rule set, and then applying data to that, and that's what learning is, they're saying, well, let's just give it a bunch of data and let it find patterns within that data and then patterns of patterns within the data. And it turns out that that's quantum leaps beyond the old technique in terms of having um, these machines make very intelligent in intuitions and guesses about uh, what, what's the most meaningful things. So I think, I think it's really super interesting, but it's also extremely limited. It's like we think it's vast, but then you look at the even vaster vastnesses of, <laughs> wow. of intellectual wow. dimensions, of intelligent dimensions that aren't being addressed here, right? Howard Gardner 30, 40, 50 years ago had his theory of multiple intelligences. So there wasn't only the logical, mathematical, rational intelligence, which is kind of being dealt with mostly in what we're talking about here. There's a little bit of verbal intelligence. There's a little bit of spatial intelligence. But we also have interpersonal intelligence. We have existential or spiritual intelligence. We have mm. emotional intelligence. And there's whole domains of these intellectual sets that have different kind of inputs to them, different um, uh, patterns that are being observed or, or observable potentially in these areas and we're, we haven't even begun to scratch the surfaces of those so I think it is valid learning there's a lot of a lot of dimensions to go with it but um, you know in terms of while we're building these machines that are going to have the full range of human experience and start to interact with us in a way that's sort of confusing I think that's still you know super pie in the sky. So we're talking about um, one of the uh, ways that this got us thinking was it was a New York Times Magazine article yeah, that's right. it was from, mm -hmm. and uh, and talking about how there were these crazy geeks, translation geeks, that were that would watch translation of pa common passages and that sort of thing, and they noticed that there was an overnight radical change in the Google Translator uh, output. And how shocking that was because they had essentially turned it loose on itself and it had learned all of these amazing cool things, which to me is wonderful and horrible. 
uh, you know, very, very scary um, and exciting, super exciting to think about all the things that it could do. And you talked about musical intelligence. I think you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. um, we had talked about it earlier. And, um, and I saw an article about uh, the, where essentially machine learning had listened to a lot of Bach and this was the song that it had put out. And it turns out that music critics are saying it was very competent, it was very beautiful, it was very powerful. And yet, neither of those seem to be learning or understanding in the way that you and I understand learning or understanding. And does it matter in kind of a Turing test sort of way? If it looks and it smells and it acts like learning, isn't it learning at some mm -hmm. level? And, and I think we're, we probably have to say yes. So can, can machines really learn? Um, I, not probably like we learn, but I'm not sure that matters. And, and maybe it winds up even being an advantage. So just another uh, way for them to become our robot overlords. <laughs> <laughs> does, does a musically intelligent AI machine um, like Katy Perry? We'll have to find out. We'll have to ask it. <laughs> that we will have to ask it, and hopefully it has enough uh, emotional intelligence or expressive capability where it could give us a rich answer. Other to than say I have problems with <laughs> so much, but I really like uh, I kissed a girl. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Hey, our sports topic of the week involves college football, something we don't talk about too much. And Jeff, I'm going to give you some props right off the bat here for actually wow. helping me to understand the great appeal of college football, uh, a sport that I heretofore had not been a big fan of up until my late 20s and still I'm not uh, tremendously today, but I never really quite gotten uh, the appeal of, of the sport um, where, you know, one team would typically blow out others and, you know, the, the score differentials would be so great and the, the quality level would be pretty low. And, and you explained to me that it's the passion around um, the game that both the kids uh, who are playing it and the fans bring to it that really energize it and make it special across our sports landscape. So d tell me, as we move into sort of the bowl season here, what your thoughts are on, uh, you know, the, the, the new playoff system that's been put in place versus the old style um, uh, traditional bowl system that was in place. And particularly now we've got a little bit of a controversy brewing with a couple players deciding not to play in their bowl games to save their bodies for their uh, pre presumptive uh, pro careers. So we, let me start with that because we've got Christian McCaffrey and uh, uh, Leonard Fournette who uh, for Stanford and Louisiana State decided to not play in their bowl games. And <clears throat> I don't necessarily have that prob big a problem with them because they're young men who likely are going to be in the NFL, almost certainly first-round draft picks, a very uh, short career in the NFL for a running back. And so there's this idea that they could be hurt and that the game didn't have a, a, a lot. They, neither of them were playing for a national championship. But there was a lot in of the talking heads out there that were essentially saying, well, why would you ever? You know, bowl games are exhibitions. They're garbage. They're, they mean nothing. And I love the bowl system. I, I don't like it. I love it. And for teams that are not always dominant, Alabama or that sort of thing, bowls are a wonderful reward to a fan base especially if that fan base doesn't always win all the time and isn't always getting the attention. Uh, you don't want to see Idaho face Colorado State in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl? Screw yourself. Don't watch it. But there's a lot of people that will. In fact, enough go to the stadium and enough eyeballs hit the screens that it makes it profitable. And those little fan bases, they get a little bit of love in a wonderful way reward for a season, a way to travel a little bit. It's really, really fun for Vandals and Rams fans. Did you know that Idaho used to be known as the Visigoths before they moved <laughs> to the Vandals? Never understood that. But it, unless we can get an NCAA men's basketball-type playoff where so many teams get a shot, 
that um, and, and instead we have four or eight. I, I don't think that the, anyone who's not in the top four will ever really have a chance. And of course, we can't possibly do a playoff like that because we put a man on the moon, right? Uh, but we couldn't pull this off. So <laughs> it seems to me like the death of the little guy. I hate it. It makes me really uncomfortable. And and so there's this endless bandwagon now that everybody's jumping on saying that the players need to be paid, whereas it just logically can't work. There's not enough money. There's too many sports. You're going to have to pay the women's sports too, which don't make any money either, by the way. I think that at least maybe you can insure those players. That seems like that would be a way that Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Frank could play, mm-hmm. is that that would mm-hmm. at least uh, be able to take mm-hmm. care of them. So I'd love to see it in there. Um, and it's just heartbreaking to me. I see this lovely, beautiful thing going down <laughs> like the Titanic. Oh. Paul, tell me that there's some hope in this, in the playoff system. I'm not sure there is. I'm not sure there is. <laughs> Here's where I'm coming from. As a big sports fan, but not necessarily a big college football fan, and growing up in Connecticut maybe does that to <laughs> I want I want to see the best college team in a playoff system. I want the rigor and the discipline and the that validation that, hey, even if it's a limited number, even if it's uh, that, that it's going to be the best team, you know, over the course of a couple, three games, that's, that's really established. And I think the playoff system gives that to you. You also have all the other teams beyond those four who can still play in bowl games. And I think those are meaningful games still in the same way that you're talking about, at least to me, who doesn't have the nostalgia for the way it used to be, where I don't know, could the winner of the, of the Idaho Potato Bowl actually be declared national champion? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it never was going to be the case either. So I think you can still preserve those kind of rivalries and the specialness of the bowls together along with the playoff system and kind of get the best of the both, both worlds. I'm kind of shocked about these kids not playing in their bowl games. I got to say, these are the modern day gladiators. You go into the arena and you go and fight and you fight to the end, although I will say they should be paid. I am on that bandwagon. <laughs> and still one game to hedge against their professional career when they've put in 20, 30, 40 college games. And this is, this is a big part of the program. I don't quite get that. Seems that doesn't smell like team spirit. (laughs) (laughs) And I agree too. I'm on the pay. I'm now bandwagon as well. Hey, so uh, you guys are cultural consumers with the best of them. Your eyes are on movies. Your (laughs) eyes are in books and you are listening to music and so forth. So I'm curious, uh, Best of 2016 as we hit the end of the year year here. Give me your best uh, in the world of cinema, books, and TV as well. Well, fortunately, I've uh, read all the books, I've seen all the movies, and I've watched all the TV. Wow. So, yeah. You too. Okay, you, you too. That great, is great. So, fully curated. Cultural omnivore. Not. There's a, a, really a, a big knot there. I'll give them to everything. you. Give them to you quick. Maybe you've heard of some. Not of others. Movies I love to rival. The recent Amy Adams release, really great. Go see it if you haven't seen it. And then a wild card, a deep cut, is going to be Embrace of the Serpent. A French movie that's in combination of Quechua, German, English, um, about Europeans over two time periods going into the Amazon to seek out an ancient shamanic culture and... Uh, herbal healing plant. It's uh, really, really good. Sounds very recommended. Embrace of the Serpent and Arrival. For my book, I'm going to go with, I mentioned H's for Hawk last week, so I'm going to put a, put a vote in for that, but then I'm also going to go with the Italian novelist Lena Ferrante's first in, in her Neapolitan tetralogy, the name of the book being My Brilliant Friend, a great novel about 
women growing up in the Naples area um, and the relationship between them and their culture, really fantastic. And finally, my TV picks are going to be Stranger Things, mm-hmm. which we've talked about previously, Winona Ryder, and the great 80s-based uh, science fiction horror series, which I thought was brilliant. And honorable mention to me goes to Mozart in the Jungle, uh-huh. which is Amazon series. And you might think that that has a kind of lightness to it, but I think it's really difficult to, to pull off what they do in terms of endearing characters, with, with, with which are funny and observationally accurate and really sweet and really engaging. Mm-hmm. Strong vote for both of those guys. So I tend to see movies later. I don't see first-run movies necessarily in the movie theater. And if I do, I tend to see bigger movies, you know, the, the movies that are going to be more entertaining, perhaps, taking advantage of the bigger of the real estate on the screen. Uh, but um, I some that I saw that I really did enjoy, I loved Creed. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Deadpool. Um, I wanted to love The Witch, uh, which appears on a lot of people's top ten. Saw it at the Sea Film Center. Great sound, great visuals. Uh, unfortunately, did not love it. Not sure what I even saw. Um, <laughs> wow. Which is, which is perhaps you, great. You, you saw a goat. I know that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, and then I plan to see uh, three. Um, I, I, I love seeing some films over the Christmas or holidays break. And um, I plan to see La La Land, which I've heard a lot of great stuff about. Very excited about Hacksaw Ridge and Arrival before the year is over. Um, new books. I don't consume a lot of new books. Uh, I'm dyslexic. Reading slow for me, but I love it so much. And so I, I you know, some old books that are new to me at least. Um, I, I loved Legends of the Fall by Jim Harrison. Um, I picked up three binge listened to three Bill Bryson books that I freaked out about, and I really enjoyed The Martian. Um, and the best of TV, which is also made by my worst of TV, also is Westworld, <laughs> which I had to stop watching uh, episodes all the way through because it was so troubling to me personally. And this is the same guy who was on season seven of Shameless, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, Westworld <clears throat> just heartbreakingly de- deconstructs a powerful male, perhaps female, fantasy that there would be a creature that would love you or appear to love you no matter what. Do your will, no matter what. And uh, just punches you in the face. So so I don't know what to do with that. All right. Next question I'm going to pose to you guys is one that will give others a little window into your personalities. Mm. Or so I hope. I want you to cast your mind back and tell us all what poster was on your dorm room wall. (laughs) Was it Albert Einstein, perhaps, with the fuzzy hair and the bug eyes? Was it... An M.C. Escher, college favorite. Was it Salvador Dali, perhaps? <laughs> Always a big... <laughs> Those are only choices? Those are your only choices. <laughs> but, of course, if uh, it wasn't any of those, I'm sure you had others. But tell us what was on your college dorm room wall. What yeah, poster? I, I did not have that kind of heady, cool vibe that I was putting out in college. I had an Empire Strikes Back movie poster okay. uh, with a little preview in the corner that said... Uh, uh, keep an eye out for Revenge of the Jedi. Oh, Revenge which, of the Jedi. Wait a minute. Yeah, it was Return of the Jedi because yeah. uh, George Lucas uh, said that Jedis would never engage in revenge and that sort of thing. So it actually became relatively valuable. Still have it. Really fun. And then um, next to it, I had uh, Depeche Mode's Black Celebration poster. 
So that was, uh, you can tell that I was really, really good with the ladies. <laughs> yeah, right. So, it, I mean, it's a weird mix, actually, in one way. I mean, isn't it? I mean, I wasn't, Oh, is it, it weird? But it, right? it's like the, the, the hyper nerdy sort of the Star Wars geek on one side and sort of the dark goth sort of thing on the other side. Do those circles overlap? Is there a union? Only in the greatest of all sinners. In the greatest of all sinners. That's why he's the greatest. That's why he's the greatest. Tommy Lynn. More power to you, right. lady. I, I was equally geeky and equally unsuccessful with the ladies <laughs> with my wall adornment, which was uh, Elvis Costello staring out from a cover, a copy of the cover of a Rolling Stone was interview. Was it the pigeon-toed Elvis? No, it was a close-up of his that. face. Okay. It was his head <laughs> staring out with those with those glasses and those eyes. <laughs> Well, I think we can agree that that is very cool. Yeah. In retrospect, maybe it didn't have the desired effect. Well, and, and Ray, I got to say, you gave us a window into your soul with the three options you gave us, Dolly, Escher, and what was the other one? Einstein. Einstein. Okay, that's what you had, did. Right? I probably and did. And yours? Uh, it was the Dolly. Yes. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, I'm a sucker for a melting clock. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. That's good. And I'm a big sorry. egg. <laughs> so let me give you some closing thoughts. Can I? So, Please do. So I'm, I'm just wondering, why can't we just own our own merry and happy? Um, as we get into this season of merry and happiness, um, I, I just am kind of wanting, first of all, I, I desperately want to be able to tell people Merry Christmas. That's, that's my cultural milieu. That's where I come from. But I don't mind at all hearing back from other people that that may not be their thing. Uh, it, it just it, it I think it would make me very happy for someone to look back at me and say happy Hanukkah because that's their thing that's their merry that's their happy and so I wondered if that could be a thing where we own our own merry and our own happy and uh, and we throw it out and uh, and see what people have to, to kind of bring that peace on earth and that joy to <laughs> the world to everybody I like the spirit of your idea there Jeff but what about taking it you know, the next step, sure. and should I say, congratulations on the birth of my son, or You're con welcome. Con congratulations on me winning the lottery? Isn't it going to be great, Ray? Well, I, you know, I, I do want to support the sentiment, but given that you know, Doctor Zen here went to sort of the absurd extreme on one side. I do think, to be intellectually honest, if we have to go to the absurd extreme on the other side, doesn't you know that also open us up to the guy who just doesn't feel particularly merry and he just he feels miserable, and you know he's passing the guy on the street and it's like this sucks. <laughs> Screw this. If your answer, you know, if if your answer is bah humbug, yeah, more power bah to humbug. you. Yeah, so if we're getting people expressing really what they truly feel, it might open up, you know, the, sort of the spectrum of quote unquote cheer to not just the merries and happies of the world. Now, that said, I do want to support you. I do like the idea. And I think what it does is it allows us to kind of dodge this sort of uh, politically correct afterglow period that I feel we're sort of in now. I mean, I think it was maybe a, minute, a little bit more of a hot topic a, a few years ago with Kwanzaa, and then there was kind of this counter argument like, oh, we can't say happy, uh, you know, we we can't say Merry Christmas. To say Merry Christmas would be politically incorrect because it doesn't honor other religions and stuff like that. So I, I don't know that we're quite there now, but I think there is st still some sensitivity to around how you do express one's cheer. And I like your idea. Express it in the way that makes sense to you. And as the listener, 
honor that. Honor that spirit. Another like another little like topic here, real quick. There have been some pundits in the industry, the podcasting industry, that have actually suggested we have too many sponsors. But <laughs> I don't think that's fair. No, I don't did. think that that's fair. Yeah. I, and, and so we continue to kind of yeah. pitch other yeah. folks that we might like to get involved with. My daughter, Modestina Maria Reina Whedon, a fantastic daughter. Uh, it's all dad and parenting really is how that all happened. <laughs> but um, she gives me National Geographic History Magazine, which turned out to be this wonderful gift that's the gift you don't know you even want. And yeah. then you get it, and it's just that cool. And I've been totally digging that. Um, got consumer reports for my dad. Less <laughs> diggable, <laughs> uh, but I can recommend a fantastic uh, cheap washer-dryer combo for the Augustinelli brothers. Thank uh-huh. you very much. Uh-huh. Um, but I still love it. I'm still digging it, and it's a neat. Uh, it's a. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's coming all year. You read it for the articles. Right? Love yeah. magazines. <laughs> I do, and uh, and I love periodicals. Um, but but here's something I want to express just briefly with you, and that is is that just like giving birth, this is my version of it, and it is that. You know, um, nature makes it so that there's such a dump of hormones and chemicals in a woman's body and also the joy of raising a child and this and that, that they forget how very traumatic and difficult raising a child actually is so that they can continue to do it. I have a very similar experience in that every three or four years is when I go through an airport, I get a, a, a copy of Scientific American. Uh-huh. And I'm like... I'm, a, I'm an American. I like science. This should be great. And it's just aspirational. I get it on the plane. I don't know what they're saying. It's super dense. I can't get through it. I'm, I'm already to Chicago and I've read 10 pages. It's awful. So anyway, I wanted you to tell me a little bit about stuff you dig and maybe possible great sponsors for this uh, fine podcast. I, I, I feel you, brother, on the on the uh, Scientific American. I've done the same thing. <laughs> There's the beautiful multicolor shot of the nebula galaxy spur- <laughs> spinning around and you're going to get it and read it on the plane and understand how, how that all works. And, uh, and then you get off feeling like an, like an ignoramus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll just leave this. I'll just leave it. I've been there too. Um, the ones I read, Buddhist magazines, really good. I'll give a shout out to the to the National Buddhist magazines, Tricycle, Buddha Dharma, and a Lion's Roar. Three really good ones, really good Dharma in there. Good and good tips for mindfulness and how to how to kind of stay sane in an insane world. And then one that I picked up recently, been around a long time, obviously. But the New Yorker. I mean, growing up in Connecticut, you'd think I would have read read that more, uh, but I didn't. And I've only recently getting into it. And I think it's because of all the Gladwellian love that we've been getting. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, love and yeah. quotes, maybe. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I get the Atlantic in print form. I read other organs online. And the one that I buy on occasion at the newsstand is the Skeptic magazine, which I find refreshingly uh, clear-minded. I don't believe uh, it. Brings a certain... (laughs) 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 At least that isn't the Cynic magazine. That's a different one. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, real good. And and that's that's the one I also... uh, I doubt doubt uh, you really get that. (laughs) I think about gifting that magazine to others as well. And so, and he likes it's it's an aspirational thing. Then. It is a little bit aspirational, perhaps. Uh, yeah, yeah. So let me. I, I'm going to get a little personal here because, and you know, that's rare for me because I'm I, I don't like to talk You're about so myself. You're so closed. Yes. But um, in so in my bathroom, okay. We've got this old-timey dispenser thing where there's a soap and a lotion dispenser. Okay. And the only design difference between the two is the word soap and lotion and four. Uh, a point font on it and so getting ready to go to the Bronco game like the big shot that I am and uh, 
and um, getting ready to go to the Mile High Stadium Club because I'm a uh, big darn oh, the club, big oh, shot. That's not just the regular yeah. seat. The club oh, is no. like a skybox sort of thing. No, no, no but yeah, that? but it's 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 like the super secret ninja thing in the basement. Whoa, uh, whoa, where you, whoa! It's you, better you, than a skybox. You, well, I don't know. Skybox is great, but Mile High Stadium Club is fun because it's like for the game you go and you have a drink and you eat something and you're oh. watching all the games on TV and oh, it's wow. cold outside. Mm-hmm. So at halftime you come in and check out and it's it's, it's a lot of fun. But so I also want to be looking my best. Um, because I am so handsome and so sharp, it's a part of who I am. And so, I'm gonna put a little lotion on the face uh-huh. and sure. put it on. Doesn't feel great, you know. I put a little more lotion on the face. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. lotion so, it up. So then, and then I go to the game, and you know, and I'm just hot, and I'm burnt. My face is burning up, and it's all scratchy, and it's super weird. I go home, and only then do I realize, after hours and hours and hours of this, but I, I have put soap on my face. <laughs> oh my! Two, soap, not lotion. Cleanest forehead in the Mile High Club. <laughs> so I look like Pinhead from Hellraiser, uh-huh. or something from one of the Mad Max movies. Uh, not my best moment. Oh, <laughs> that's what I leave you guys with. That's what I leave you guys with. <laughs> well, thank you. That is sad. It's just sort of doubly sad. The fact that you made the mistake in the first place, one, strike against, and the fact that you sort of kept it on there for hours afterwards, strike two. But <laughs> hey, we're all getting there. We're all going to be there. Yes. Uh, it's an honest mistake. These things happen. I don't want you to feel too bad about it. <laughs> well, thank you guys very much thank for you. the yeah. week that now was. Uh, we look forward to the Christmas holiday. But why don't we sign off in the spirit of your observation earlier, Jeff? We can all express it in whatever ways we feel like it. Merry Christmas, all. Happy holidays. Uh, and uh, <laughs> 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 thank you all, listeners, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.